0: live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it!
2: Welcome to the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer Michael Brawner joining you this Tuesday. Afternoon. Hope everyone had a long and enjoyable Memorial Day weekend and is well rested for the work day today. And of course, with this being SEC meetings down in Destin, Florida, none other than our main man Lee Cervanian joining us in Destin and Lee, good afternoon and welcome to the Final Drive.
3: Corey, thank you so much. Uh, Appreciate being invited onto the uh, final drive. So uh, how was your week, your Memorial Day weekend?
2: It was laid back, got a chance to see the disappointing game last night, and that was what everyone had anticipated, Lee. After Saturday's fantastic finish, you get that horrible blowout game in Game 7. That's not what Game 7s are supposed
3: to look like, Lee. Also, Game 7s in Boston are supposed to be Celtic wins. Just go back and check the history.
2: Yeah, no, it's definitely not Larry Bird's Celtics that we saw play last night. That's for sure. And I know that one thing's for sure, you know, your Game 7 is down in Destin. There's plenty of Game 7 talk, but we're we're not talking about Game 7. We're talking about Game 8 or 9. That's the questions that are going on down in Destin.
3: That's the hot topic, and we had six coaches today that spoke to the media with these impromptu news conferences, a lot different than what you'll face when you go to Nashville for the SEC media days. And just basically, I, I was kind of surprised at uh, not not even a bigger turnout of media as I thought there would be. As you know, when you go to Nashville, you're surrounded by, oh, I don't know, 800, 900, 1,000, whatever, because they like to boast about the numbers. But here it's more of a – it's it's filtered down the crowd. Uh, I say crowd. Not, not many of – Uh, The media members do come down here for this. So, you know, there was a few, and they heard the six coaches. And of the six, and and this is what kind of disappointed me, I was going to try to keep score as to which coaches favored the nine-game schedule, which favored the eight. And only one coach emphatically said he favored the nine, and that was Eli Drinkowitz of Missouri. The other five kind of waffled even Nick Saban, who at one time, I was led to believe favored the nine. In fact, he was asked about that. He even kind of bounced off his earlier position and said, well, there's a lot of things to consider. Now, keep in mind, the coaches don't vote. They're just offering opinions. And for the most part, they basically gave the impression, well, we'll just take our marching orders and what they tell us to do, we're going to do. Drinkowitz really favored the nine-game schedule for a variety of reasons. Um, Other power conferences do it and he you know he saw the value in it the other coaches they would say well i see this but i also see that so that's uh, that's that was my impression of uh, listening to uh, six coaches today who were also asked i might add about gambling about tampering about the the portal and you know other let's say less interesting uh issues that may come out but there's no question that this week And when the athletic directors, not the athletic directors, actually the uh, presidents and things, they get together on Thursday and Friday, I hope there is a vote and we'll put an end to all this.
4: Lee, you've been to a lot of these spring meetings. Now, this is the first one with Oklahoma and Texas having a seat at the table. Has it been any different with, uh, with two new big time schools there?
3: Well, well, let's just say this. They don't have a seat at the table yet. They're not involved in any vote. They, they If they're present, it was not at any of these press conferences. The coaches are not here. I would assume – I saw one reporter from Austin, Texas, but I would assume the only, uh, let's say – Uh, official or officials would come in, would be in the athletic administration, certainly. And I would think they would want to sit in. The uh, coaches are are not present, and I would just think maybe an athletic director or even a higher-up or somebody like an academic advisor may come to see what's going on. But uh, to be honest about it, and not to put them down, but quite frankly, Texas and Oklahoma, they're not going to have a vote in this, and it's kind of irrelevant to what's going on now. Next year will be different, but not this year.
2: I know Coach Saban was one of the coaches who had an opportunity to kind of voice his opinion today, along with Hugh Freeze making his return back to the SEC. And Coach Saban kind of talked about it being a business uh, or not being a business as far as, if you ask me, if collegiate athletics is a business. Nick Saban, he had his own opinion about his thoughts about NIL and as far as the monies are concerned that the universities bring in.
3: Yeah, he said definitely it's not a business. He said when he coached the Miami Dolphins and he worked for Wayne Huizenga, it was definitely a business. They they invest, they invest in other th- issues, they, they do whatever they want with their money. He, he pointed out that in his opinion, college sports, they reinvest in, well, whatever helps the university, other programs, let's say, the the sports that don't make money, they, they invest in scholarships, so it's in his opinion, it is not really a business, whereas many of us outside uh feel that obviously they 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 are interested in as a business because they're always trying to make more money and that that seems to be the uh overriding issue with this 9-8 whether espn would wager in more money to carry the you know because of the impact of another sec game but uh, in nick's comments were basically he kind of waffled on the 9-8 and talked about as you pointed out corey uh that about it being whether it's a business or not the difference between uh college and pros and he talked about uh the fact that in the NFL they want parity. In fact, he had a good line at the end. He said, if the NFL had their own way, coming into Week 17, every team would be 8-8, so every team would be eligible for a playoff berth on Week 17. And he pointed out that can't happen in the college landscape because of the inequities, uh, especially with NIL money and so forth.
2: You know, Coach Saban is the GOAT, but to sit there and think that college athletics is not a business and that the Miami Dolphins are a business. What what is licensing, licensing and agreements? What 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 is that about? That is that's business, right? That's at the at the collegiate level to me, Lee. So that's where I think Nick Saban is really kind of talking out of both sides in regards to what is a business and what is not a business from a pro standpoint to a collegiate standpoint.
3: So you think he dropped the ball, huh? Yeah, I, I, I really think, think
2: that's. That's something I think he dropped the ball as far as from a business, and he's absolutely right that the Dolphins are a business. But college athletics has become a business, and with all the licensing and merchandising prior to NIL, it was still a business to where it was a multi-million dollar business when you look at all the the, the apparel that is being sold. And if you put something Alabama's name across something, you get wind up getting sued. Lee, to me. That's definitely signs of a business from a collegiate licensing standpoint. And I know that our good buddy Hugh Freeze at Auburn, when he came in and kind of talked about his biggest topic for the day, Lee, was kind of about the transfer rule and the fact that he would love for it to go back to where you would have to sit out a year unless the college coach got fired or left the university. I'm kind of like him. If you want to slow the transfer portal down – then I think that you definitely have to make the kids sit.
3: That's right. But you know what? At least this year it may benefit him with the, what, 21 or 22 they've brought in. Otherwise, he couldn't revamp the roster to his needs. And that was the first question he addressed really was basically what What do you think – about this, uh, about bringing in so many players. And, and Hugh basically said, look, I, I don't know. I mean, I just have to wait and see. I, You know, it's too early to get a take on all these new players coming in. You kind of get the impression it's not exactly the way he wanted to go, but there's no getting around the fact that um, he felt that this program needed, a let's say, uh, a, a ingestion of new players or interject new players to – perhaps produce a winning season so he was very relaxed Uh, I'd have to say that I hadn't seen him since his days with Ole Miss when he was here and it was a lot different then because the pressure was on Ole Miss with the investigation but very relaxed and uh, hoping that you know these these new players or at least most of them can really help I will tell you that the two comments that really caught my attention the first question to Nick Saban and he was asked about the uh, the meetings and how he felt about the agenda he said look this is not about me these meetings aren't mine I, I i i take my order you know i'm all week long i've been taking my orders from you know his wife you know at their lake house and i take orders here he said i i don't i don't get to control the agenda till i get back to campus i thought that was kind of cute and the other one that really blew us away was drinkowitz when um at the end of his conversation and again Uh, talking about the 9-8 scheduling format, and he said, look, I I was a history professor, okay? He said, I can only imagine that when the 13 colonies were united in their stand against Britain, that they had less stress in deciding what to do than we have on on an (laughs) 8-9 silliness.
2: Yeah, it's one of those situations, Lee, to where I know that there'll continue to be information coming out each and every day that you're down in Destin, and I know you wouldn't be there without the the wonderful sponsors who have helped bring you there to Destin, and just the great bits of information that you get and hear from these coaches and athletic directors throughout the week.
3: You know, I'm going to tell you something. To a coach, and not all of them said it, but you got the impression on many of the questions that were raised with these these six. Now, that, they were only six of the 14 that answered the bell. Shane Beamer, for whatever reason, couldn't make it. They only had seven listed, and which is about for the norm. But to a, to a coach, except for Drinkowitz, they all basically said, look, these, these questions are above my pay scale. <laughs> they, that's how they danced around it because the decisions aren't theirs to be made. Media wants to hear what they have to say about it, but in many cases, we did not.
2: Well, I tell you, Dr. Christopher Mullinex, Ward International Trucks, Riches, Car Wash, Dixie Supply, the Cart Doctor are all sponsors that have done a phenomenal job allowing us to to make sure that you're getting all the valuable SEC information down in Destin and we want to thank those wonderful sponsors Lee and we'll come back to you for sure at the top of the 4 o'clock hour to check back in to see what else is going on down at the SEC spring meetings down in Destin Florida.
3: Look forward to it. Thanks Michael thanks Corey. Talk to you soon. Bye bye now. Thanks Lee
2: Michael I, you know when Lee was talking about what Nick Saban said about the business of the professional sports and collegiate athletics i know we'll talk about that as the show evolves but i couldn't disagree with coach saban more because i yeah, will play
4: that audio on the other side it was uh
2: it was an interesting way to phrase it by, by coach his take on it is is definitely different than mine and we'd love to hear from you 251-694-1055 or you can correspond with us in the app as well. The final drive on WNSP 105.5 Corey Bounty along with my producer Michael Braun. This is Richie Riley, the head men's
1: basketball coach of South Alabama. There's nothing better than listening to WNSP Sports Radio
2: 105.5 FM. I think
0: the big mistake that people make is college Athletics is not a business. People say it's a business. It's not a business, it's revenue producing. When I was the coach at the Miami Dolphins, Wayne Huizenga owned the team, that was a business. He took a profit, he made money, he made a huge investment. That doesn't happen in college athletics. We reinvest every cent that gets made into non-revenue sports, to scholarships, to a lot of things that create a lot of opportunity for a lot of people which is really, really good.
2: Nick Saban down in Destin, Florida at the SEC meeting stating that college athletics is not a business. I I think that college athletics is a business. It's a billion-dollar business, and I do agree out of that billion-dollar business, what you take is – the non-revenue-generating sports, and you're able to to fund those non-revenue-generating sports out of college athletics being a business. And, yes, the <sighs> NFL is a business, too. But I, I just – I tremendously disagree with Coach Nick Saban saying that college athletics is not a business. And, Michael Bronner, I don't know how you could think or anyone could think, including Coach Saban, that it's not a business. Coach,
4: boy, oh boy, what what are we doing here? I I don't know if he feels like he he's in a position where he's obligated to say something like that, or like, or whether he even believes it. Like that's what I mean. It's like, all right, if college athletics isn't a business, then then why why is the Alabama-Texas ticket gonna be five hundred dollars? Why like that, That's just. One example, why is Bryce Young making seven figures before he even takes a snap? And I understand NIL has certainly changed things, uh, so it's certainly become more of a quote-unquote business in the last two years or so than it ever has been. But even before that, it's like, you know, Nick, how, how much money did you make last year? You know, 10 figures? <laughs> so it's it's a pretty crazy take to say that college athletics is not a business. It, I mean, it's a business that, like he said, funds the non-revenue for sports, funds everything else on campus. In Alabama's case, gets people to campus like myself from New Jersey right. who wouldn't have considered going to the University of Alabama if it weren't for a successful football team. Like, it is a business that funds – everything at that school like it puts the state of alabama on a map it's the amount of money that it's brought and i'm not arguing against it i don't think it's a a bad thing but like to to say it's not a business i mean you're in a little bit of denial
2: there coach i I think a little bit of denial is is not the truth a lot of denial there and like i say whether he believes it or not it's one of those that is going to be used as a quote because when i did hear what nick saban had to say today I was like, look, X's and O's, Jimmy's and Joe's, he is the GOAT. But when it comes to this particular opinion of collegiate athletics not being a business – I don't think that that's what's on ESPN's table because I guarantee if you go from an eight game schedule to a nine game schedule that they're going to be happy with the fact that they signed a contract based on the fact that the SEC is supposed to still be an eight game schedule. When they signed the contract, it was going to be an eight game schedule and they're going to give you another game for free. Plus, you have SEC plus to where you can see every single additional game that's going to be played. On the SEC Network or ESPN Plus, absolutely. Yeah, that's it's probably the
4: best example, like the TV contract. Go ahead and tell it to the, what, $500 million TV deal that, that college athletics is not a business? I mean, come on.
2: I I believe a lot of what Nick Saban does say, his core values in regards to that. But I believe he doesn't want it to be a business. No, he absolutely doesn't, And but he's, he's right in the fact When he did piggyback and said it does go to the non-revenue generating sports. Which is all great. Which is what you have to have. That's what those additional dollars do because there's nobody ponying up for equestrian at Auburn or equestrian at Alabama. Nobody's paying to see that. These are not your paid sports. I mean, when's the last time someone went to a, an Alabama swimming and diving meet or an Auburn swimming and diving meet? It just It's something that not a lot happens. You, you Not to say you don't have those fans, but at the same time, I know that it's very important. I know, Michael, we do have a caller on the line. Yeah, let's go to Patrick. Patrick, thank you. Welcome to the final drive.
1: Hi, Corey. Hold with me here a second, all right? You got it. So, I'm, I disagree with you. If you really look at the model, it's not a business because it is revenue producing. So if, let's look at uh, – so how do you, you – turn a profit in a business. If okay. you don't turn a profit, you go out of business or you shut down your dead weight, right? So that University of Alabama, due to Title IX, can you not shut down the non-producing? Therefore, it is technically a nonprofit, and I'm not sure if people are aware. The NFL is not a business technically. It is a nonprofit, Yes, their CEO makes $50 million a year, correct? Because it's a technical non-profit. Now, the teams are businesses owned by people who turn a profit. But if you look up, the NFL is a non-profit who has a tax-exempt status from the government. Hence, it's the same business model as the NCAA and Alabama's football program.
2: Patrick, you're exactly right in regard to the true definition of business. Because Nick Saban, within this press conference, we just played a small snippet of it. He went in regards to saying that what the Miami Dolphins were and what Wayne Huizenga paid and how he goes about incorporating a business. But the only way that you do, and you still have Title IX regardless, but the non-revenue-generating sports, under a business model, what money is being generated for those non-revenue-generating sports?
1: None. That's the whole point, why college athletics is not a business. They cannot – the non-revenue is not generating any money. Therefore, they are using donations slash Alabama football program who is, revenue, who is making all the money to run those programs. Hence, it is technically not a business because if you had a business – like if you had a construction company, core cool, right, okay. and you had five locations, three are not making a profit, two are missed. You're shutting down those three to take your higher profit, right? In That's this a true business model. It's not a business. NIL has nothing, what Brightshot made, has nothing to do with the business NCAA sports. That is what he's making himself off what he has profited from himself.
2: So there are different ways that you can look at it. And, and I agree with you, Patrick, in regards to non-revenue generating sports and the, and the true sense of a business model. But collegiately, when you have, your sports that are revenue generating when it is revenue generating what do you call that model? You call it revenue generating do you call it a successful business or a non successful business when it's generating funds?
1: You call that part of the model of uh, successful ah, but that if part you, if you, oh you say you y'all say college athletics we're not pulling out, we're not pulling the football by itself We said hey said college athletics is not a business. Fair enough. And technically, it no, it's not. And, and because, again, because, all, because all you would have, you would have football. You would have my. You wouldn't have baseball. You might have a little bit of basketball. You have would have no women's sports. Let's be honest. You would have no swimming, no diving. You would basically say NCAA would be comprised of football and and some basketball teams, and that's all the sports you would have if it was a business.
4: Appreciate the call, Patrick. All right, buddy. P- appreciate Patrick chiming yeah, in I, there, but I, I, have, I, it's a valid point. I think he's getting a bit caught up in the in the
2: semantics so of the, of the, mean, of, it, the business, of the definition of the word. The truth, yes. yeah, exactly, that's what we're looking at. So, if you want to look at the true definition of a business model in regards to what generates money and what doesn't generate money, well, i tell you what, that's why the SEC has revenue sharing. Because, hell, Vanderbilt ain't making the same kind of money that Alabama's making. It doesn't mean that Vanderbilt is still not under the same business model that Alabama's formulated with they're still selling tickets they still have the same amount of athletic sports due to title nine that is offered so you know you don't really want to get caught in the semantics I just disagree the fact that Nick Saban said it is not a business and again Michael played the clip and it's it's clear as day because I went and listened to it several times Wayne Huizinga the former owner of the Dolphins, again, and any owner of the NFL, definitely has have it as a business, and it's a business model. Collegiate athletics is based on the business model. Now, whether you make money or lose money, there are universities that lose money every single year, and you can go look at the books just like businesses lose every single year, but that's part of business, and that's what we call it. Helen, business here on the final drive. Three thirty coming up. Tony Sakalis will be joining us next here on the final drive.
0: Hey, this is former mobile TV sportscaster Eric Clemens, and when I'm in town, I listen to 105.5 FM Sports Radio WNSP.
2: back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with my producer Michael Brauner joining you this Tuesday afternoon. Hope everyone had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend and of course with the meetings being held the SEC meetings being held down in Destin there'll be a lot of topics that will the presidents and the ADs and certain coaches will be able to talk about and of course we just had it a segment here on the final drive about what is a business and what's not a business. Nick Saban saying that, look, the NFL is definitely a business and collegiate athletics are not. Tony Sakalis, managing editor for Tide Illustrated. you think it's the offseason, Tony, because there's no football or basketball. But I tell you, there's plenty of going on and chatter with Nick Saban chiming in today about NIL and along with the professional model, Making college athletics employees.
5: Yeah, there's never an off time when it comes to Alabama. I mean, uh, you got spring meetings, you got baseball, you got softball. It's uh, it's actually one of the busier times, but, uh, it's always busy when Nick Saban speaks.
2: And Coach Saban did speak today, and and some of the things that he had to say were about NIL and about compensation by collegiate athletics, and the fact that how things. Are changing, and anytime Coach Saban has something to say, you know you can say what you want to, but don't think for one ear, for one moment, that Nick Saban doesn't have the ear of Greg Byrne or the president of the University of Alabama about what he thinks about an eight or nine game schedule going in. Yeah, definitely, and uh, you know I think
5: that he's uh, an influential voice. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, you know. Th- Obviously, he's not the only voice in this discussion, but uh, he carries a lot of weight, uh, not just within the SEC, but within college football. So when a guy like that speaks, people listen. Uh, I don't think he's, like, in control. I don't think, you know, his voice is the only voice that will matter. But, yeah, I think that um, he he will, uh, you know, even maybe more so than other SEC coaches, when he says something, uh, it carries a lot of weight.
2: Well, what does carry a lot of weight in Tuscaloosa is the new recruits arriving on campus and pretty much everyone being on campus now, whether you were a late enrollee or a, a transfer portal guy getting ready for those summer classes. I know Alabama has a lot to be happy about in the fact that they were able to get everyone on campus and are ready to start that fifth quarter program.
5: Yeah. Um you know, there's know, there's a few guys coming in that could really make an impact. We talked about that on the site the other day. You're bringing in two defensive backs uh, who could both compete for starting spots. You're bringing in, obviously, uh, Tyler Buckner, who's going to be right there in the mix for the quarterback's uh, competition. And you're bringing in two pass rushers in Keon Keely and Yanzi Pierre, who, I mean, these guys are, are really skilled pass rushers. They're five-star recruits. Um, Alabama's got a deep outside linebacker unit, but I can see one of these guys coming in and, you know, maybe being a factor in a passing situation just as a pure pass rusher before they kind of get their feet totally settled at the position. You know, sometimes you can get a young guy like that that's so good at attacking the quarterback. You just tell him to go, you know, you took him on a third and long, you just tell him to, you know, go get after it. Uh, Both of those guys have that capability. You're also bringing in uh, Richard Young, uh, a really highly rated running back, uh, and then of course Connor Talty, I You know, he's the, the kicking, kicker recruit. Obviously, you won't need him this year with uh, Will Reichard, but he's going to be important for Alabama down the down the line. You know, moving forward after this year.
4: Talking to Tony Sakalas, managing editor at Tide Illustrated. Tony, let's uh, transition over to basketball for a second. You know, we, we had suspected on this show for a while that Charles Bidiaco was going to be back and really everyone was going to come back. Mark Sears announces he's returning today. Alabama should be pretty strong in the backcourt, but Nate Oates not someone who minces his words. He, he comes out and essentially says when asked that, yeah, we were caught by surprise by Charles Bidiaco not returning.
5: Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, it'd be one thing about them I knew this would happen. I think that there was, you know, quality bigs that they could have really went after in, uh, in the portal. And it just kind of, I think they were just expecting Charles Bediako to come back. So you don't really attack some of those bigs as much as you would have if you knew he was leaving. And it's always the risk when, when these kids, you know, test the draft waters. But I, I was shocked, and I'm sure Alabama was shocked. Like like don't like said, um, the expectation was for Charles Bettieaku to come back, and you know it's going to be kind of difficult now to go and find a replacement. You know, Bettieaku is going to be a huge part of this year's team, um, and so it, it's going to be it's going to be tough to find somebody that you know has that talent, and then also you know he had two years of starting experience. That's going to be tough to replace as well. Not to mention the fact that Alvin is already replacing Noah Clowney, who, you know, is a starter and, you know, probably going to be a lottery pick in this year's draft. So, um, yeah, unless, you know, Mark Sears can grow like eight inches, uh, it, that's a nice, you know, uh, it's obviously nice getting him back, but that front court uh, definitely needs some work moving forward. I mean, right now, Nick Pringle is probably the most valuable player on the team just because he represents that, that
2: front court. Well, not only at Alabama in basketball, there's a lot going on in softball and baseball. And we'll start with the biggest, I guess, kind of baseball program that was possibly in shambles when the gambling scandal broke out a month and a half ago. And Bama comes in, gets a 16 seed, hosting the first regional since 06, and opens up with Nickel State.
5: I mean, I think when you look at it from, you can look at it from a glass half full or a glass half empty uh, standpoint. Obviously, Alabama gets that first, you know, chance to host since 2006, and they're excited about that. and That's a huge step for this program. But on the other hand, if you somehow get out of this regional, which will be hard in itself just because it's an NCAA regional, you play number one overall seed Wake Forest, which so such a buzzsaw, probably. Uh, in the Super Regional. That's a tough draw for Alabama to get that sixteen seed. Uh, personally, I think if you, if you look at it, they probably should have been higher, probably maybe more around like 12 or 13 seed. Uh, so getting the 16th overall season, yeah, they might feel a little bit hard done by that. Um, as for the teams in the Regional, though, I think, you know, I, I like Alabama's chances. They start off against Nickel State. They have a Troy team that they've beaten twice, and then they've got Boston College. Boston College might be the, the trickiest of that bunch. Uh, they're a team that kind of, they wanted to host. Uh, if, you know, they were in the mix to host at one point during the season. So, uh, you know, that, that, that could be a tricky, you know, I don't think Alabama should have any trouble with Nichols State. You know, you get off to a win. Uh, but then it's it interesting after, you know, after that first game, you know, assuming that Alabama can, can lock down that win against Nichols State. Another thing to point out, though, is Alabama hasn't been totally solid all the time in these, you know, midweek games. And that's essentially what Nichols State's going to be. So they really can't afford to, you know, get ahead of themselves there. Because if you lose Nickel State, you're really in some big trouble uh, in, in terms of a double elimination regional. So Yeah, yeah. Really, turn- when it comes down to Alabama, yeah.
4: No, no, go ahead. Finish your thought.
5: Oh, yeah. It's really when it comes down to that you know, they get, they got to uh, take it one game at a time, you know. But... If they do that, I like their chances one game at a time. But you know, it's baseball, and Alabama's is not used to being here at this at this level. You know, and having the expectations of being a host—that you know—that those things have to be considered as well.
4: Yeah, Alabama ending up as a 16 seed, I think, was surprising to a lot of people. I do think their draw in the regional is somewhat favorable. But, you know, and without asking you to, uh, you know, come on here and spout conspiracy theories, what, what's going on? Why Why? Why is it as low as a
5: 16 seed? Maybe, uh, you know, I, it's kind of funny because the softball team got a, a number five seed and everyone screamed. You know, oh wow, they didn't deserve that. You know, and everybody thought that they, you know, should have been farther down. It's almost like Alabama took all its luck from the softball draw and, and didn't have any left when it came down to getting a national seed uh, in baseball. You know, they, they, I, 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 I'm sure uh, you know Jason Jackson would have loved to have the same luck that uh, Patrick Murphy had when they came down to the the committee. But yeah, I, I think it's you know you look at. You know, maybe even an Auburn team that Alabama beat three out of four times and had a better RPI than, uh, you know, how how did they get a higher national seed than than Alabama? That's you know something that I'm sure, especially Alabama fans are you know up and on about. Uh, There's really nothing they can do about it, you know. And and like you said, uh, it will be tough to beat a Wake Forest, but Alabama can't even afford, like we were talking about earlier. Alabama can't afford to really worry about that because they've got to take things one game at a time. And who knows? I mean, the same way that Alabama could lose in its regional, Wake Forest could lose, and then all of a sudden Alabama could be hosting its super regional. So um, it's just kind of, you just kind of the dice has already been thrown, and I think you just got to play the hand that you're
2: dealt. The legacy of Alabama softball montana fouts and we know she had that hyper extended left leg and then found a way to help alabama's women's team make it to the college world series from a women's standpoint her legacy in in getting that 100th win and alabama's chances now that they are in oklahoma of course the buzz saw that are the Sooners' program? It, they're of course the favorite if they've won some 46 games in a row. But just to make it there for Montana Fouts and for her to battle through her knee injuries, what this means to Coach Murphy and that program?
5: Yeah, I think it's huge. And like, I don't think Alabama needs to be like entering this tournament with the, the mentality of oh, we made it, because uh, that's not you know that, that's not good for any team, but. I think from a you know outsider standpoint, yeah, it means a lot that this team made it. I think this team punched above its weight to a certain extent because, you know, sure, they're already as the number five overall seed, but this is a team that struggled. It still can't hit consistently. It relies a lot on Montana Fouts, and, you know, now Montana Fouts, you know, is hurt, and she's not at 100%. So the fact that they were able to overcome that and make it to – um, Oklahoma City really with, you know, what, like three-fourths of its starter and it's the person that has, you know, relied so heavily on this season. It says a lot. And, uh, you know, for people like Montana Bouts who came back for that extra year, it would have been kind of weird to see it not end in Oklahoma City. So one way or another, it's going to end in Oklahoma City, you know, as it should be. Uh, I think, you know, with the kind of career she's had at Alabama – you know, it's only fitting that she would have a chance to, you know, to compete for Women's College World Series in Oklahoma City.
4: Uh, I want to ask you one more basketball question, Tony, before we let you go. But uh, it was interesting last night. There were rumors swirling around Twitter about could Javon Quinterly be entering the portal? And then Nate Oates says today that he's probably coming back. What do you make of all that? Does Alabama even, I, I hate to say, does Alabama need him back? But they do have a very strong backcourt at this point after Mark Sears is coming back. And, uh, you know, there are roster spots to go around with. Uh, you could bring back Quinterly and bring in a big or two. But, you know, at this point, you know, what are your general thoughts on possibly bringing Quinterly back or not?
5: I definitely think you need to run Quinterly back, especially when you're losing more veterans. I mean, it comes to a point where, you need some sense of normalcy on this team, and then when you look at last year's team, it was talented, but it, you know it was also inexperienced. And I think that kind of costs them down the down the stretch in the tournament. You you look, you lost to a uh, a San Diego State team that had a bunch of seniors on it, and I think that's kind of the things you need when it comes to those do-or-die games. And you need people that've been there before. Javon's literally somebody that's done that. He also knows NATO's program. He knows all them. The standard. You kind of want a guy like that in your program. Uh, yeah, do they have other? Uh, do they have other guards? And you know, they should have a strong backcourt. But they're going to have to rely on that backcourt now because I don't think they have. They're going to have necessarily a strong frontcourt depending on what they're able to pull from the transfer portal. So they can't afford to get rid of any other weapons that they have. Uh, So I think it's big that he's coming back. And it sounds like, you know, from NATO's comments today that he is coming back. So that's, you know, a bit of good news from Alabama, you know, in a time where they haven't really had a a lot of good news.
2: Well, what has been good news for this 22-23 season for the Alabama Crimson Tide has been the fact that the success of all sports across the board the athletic programs and when Greg Byrne has an opportunity to take a step back I know here last week in a in a particular interview he talked about the 99.5 percent success rate that Alabama athletics has had and that 0.5 headlines being those whether it was the arrest for football or basketball and this baseball scandal that has gone on as a whole, the athletic programs has really been on solid footing and that's evident of the success that you've seen in men's basketball, women's softball, men's baseball, despite what's going on. And of course, Nick Saban and Steele and them going and winning 11 games last year. Yeah, it's
5: been a successful, I don't think anyone's arguing out there a success on the field or on the court. There has been a lot of distractions off the court. Uh, you know, I, I don't know uh, if I agree with uh, Greg Burns' uh, 99.5% positivity rate. If that's the case, Alabama's had a you know close to 100 or 99.9% in most years because there has been a lot more distractions. But as far as on the court or on the field uh, activities, it's been a banner year for Alabama. Uh, it's been you know nearly every one of its teams and soccer as well. Uh, you know, but it's been a, a, a banner year for for Alabama to have uh, all of its teams kind of performing to its top uh, its top levels.
2: Tony Sicolas joining us here on the Final Drive. Tony, how can everyone follow all your tremendous coverage at Tide Illustrated?
5: Yeah, the site's uh, tideillustrated.com, or you can go to alabama.rivals.com. You can follow me at Tony underscore Tony_Sicolas. Or you can follow us at Tide Illustrated
2: on Twitter. Tony, thank you so much for your time this afternoon on the Final Drive. And as always, look forward to talking to you again next week to see the success of the men and women's program, softball and baseball. Yeah, uh, no
5: problem. Thanks for having me on.
2: Tony Sakalis joining us this afternoon on the Final Drive. And we'll be right back after a short break. And then top of the hour, we'll have Lee Shavanian. Live, joining us in Destin from the SEC meetings.
6: Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP.
2: Welcome back to the final drive this Tuesday edition. And, of course, this weekend, plenty to unpack in the NBA Game six. Now, we haven't was, gotten to
4: talk about this. It,
2: it, it, it was one of the most thrilling <laughs> yeah. games I've ever seen in, in playoff history. Whew. As far as what was at stake for the Boston Celtics, could they force that big game seven? And in game six, of course, you have that buzzer beater that was made by Derek White. And, and that that buzzer beater was one of those to where you, you could not boxing out or no box out you can call it what you want to the bottom line is that ball had to bounce perfectly to him and he had to make the shot he had to make the layup and kiss it off the glass and that led to the game seven excitement the hype didn't live up to it it was it was just like one of those old time Mike Tyson fights (laughs) where you knew going in it was going to be over after the first quarter the Celtics Charles Barkley called it. You just didn't know what they were doing why they were chunking up so many threes. Yeah, and we can
4: talk about uh we can talk about Joe Missoula in a later segment. We only have a couple minutes left in the hour here, so <laughs> we'll have we'll get into that debate a little bit later, but uh that being said, yeah, it was disappointing. Uh you always want a game 7 to be classic, and there were a couple moments where you thought, "All right, here we go. It's about to get close." And then you know, it was funny because I think Game Six was actually the Celtics' worst shooting performance of the season. Like they were seven of 35 from three or something like that, and obviously find a way to win. And they were up big in the fourth quarter and damn near blew it. Um, and then, you know, Marcus Smart misses and Derek White goes and gets the board, but yeah, and then uh, it was just more of the same in Game Seven. They could, they couldn't they couldn't make a thing. It was just did,
2: ugly. Did you see the footage in Game Six of that wedding to where? There was a wedding party. They were all Miami fans, no. and they thought the game was over. They had started I saw a few. I saw a
4: few different videos. I mean, it was so funny because, like— if you if you were watching with, with the commentary on, like commentators thought it was over. It was like, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Are are they <laughs> counting <laughs> that? What right. wait, and then they showed the replay and it was like, oh my god, like the reaction. Yeah, I've yeah, never yeah. had a buzzer beater like that where, you know, I didn't really I reacted. I said, Oh my god, like is that is that good? I like didn't think he got it off. There's no way. And then like you, you wait to react until you see the replay. Then of course they show the replay and it's out of his hands with with a tenth of a second left on the clock. It
2: yeah, that was unbelievable yeah kevin harlan normally has some great calls you he can't you can't to react celebrate. to that he, he, he didn't know how to react yeah. because he wasn't sure he was waiting on the official signaling reggie miller also and, and they normally give you great commentary as far as what is concerned but game seven and ugly, ugly what did ugly, not ugly, happen ugly. in game seven and it all can all go back to what Jason Tatum did on the first possession of the game, coming down and rolling his ankle. And I think it made a difference with his aggressiveness, but it didn't make a difference between the fact that Miami from the three point line, 14 out of 30, Caleb Martin, man. And yeah, his, his numbers is impressive too, but seven out of 35 from beyond the arc for the Celtics. And if you would have told me that's how you go into a hole old three, and that's why the Celtics were down 0-3. Well,
4: that was the stat. They were like going into Game 7 or going into Game 6. I think they were 9-1 and one in the playoffs when they had shot over thirty-one 39% rather. And I think 2-7 and seven when they shot below 39%. So, like, you hate to make it so simple, but games they paid threes, they won. Games they missed threes, they lost. And Game 6 is the rare exception there. But, boy, oh, boy, could they not make a shot last night. It, we'll get into more of it It's if you're a
2: Celtics fan and that nostalgia going into – to the Boston's home court, thinking they're gonna get one and have a chance to play in the NBA finals. Now you have Denver and Miami getting started up this Thursday. Lee Shavanian gonna give us an update from Destin. Then of course we have our next guest that is scheduled for 4:15. Chris Gordy will be joining us here on the final drive after Lee Shavaney.
0: Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it!
2: Welcome to hour number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 Corey Bounty. Joined by my producer, Michael Brauner, and of course, the SEC Spring Meetings taking place in Destin, Florida, and the opening kickoffs. Lee Shervanian is there to get us the 411 on what's going on in Destin. Lee, have you had an opportunity to hit that hot tub yet, my brother? Twice. I, I figured you were going to have a chance to get into it, but before you hit that hot tub, I, I know that there was some business that had to be handled today in regards to having an opportunity just to hear six college coaches in football kind of discuss the eight- or nine-game collegiate model that's going to be moving forward. And, you know, even though the coaches aren't the ones who are going to vote, still interesting to hear their take on it.
3: You know, there was actually more questions or let's say more of a give and take on tampering than there was on the eight- or nine-game schedule. At least uh, five uh, five of the six that spoke coaches pretty well said, look, uh, we'll take marching orders. Whatever it's handed to us, we'll, we'll move on. They wouldn't commit themselves to eight or nine. They they raised questions about either or. Will uh, nine games, uh, an extra game hurt us if we want to get into the uh, current or w- will be the uh, college football playoff? Uh, for instance, what if we lose three and another team from another conference uh, loses two? How will that affect us? I don't know, you know, they're not really aware of the money issue. You know, some pointed out that, well, maybe if it's more lucrative and ESPN would pay more. Well, they already have a contract, and I don't see why that would be the case with all the layoffs that are going on with ESPN, at least for 2024. I would hate to think that all this talk will lead to nothing, and they'll revert back to uh, what the schedule is today for 2024, and kind of put everything on hold. I know that's not what the commissioner wants, and I'll be uh, listening to what he has to say uh, this afternoon. He'll be speaking at 5.30. That will be a question that will be raised with him, you know, the back and forth. Uh, and and I've heard some of the reporters say they've come up with other uh, elements of, you know, a nine-game versus an eight-game schedule. And I know Commissioner Sankey does not want the SEC to take a back seat to the other Power Five conferences, of which most of them do play Play nine games. It was also pointed out, though, that if they do go to nine games, that there would have to be some 38 uh, non conference games down the road that would have to be rescheduled based on SEC teams playing four non conference non-conference games, then going back to three. So uh, that, that was some of the stuff that was brought out today. But tampering, I think, actually became more of a, a question. And, and coaches were asked, you know, is there a lot of tampering going on? And, you know, some said, yeah, but they wouldn't. They're not going to define what is tampering and one coach pointed out tampering is not so much the coaches but even the players themselves you know, deciding to uh, enter the uh, portal and then you know getting in touch with uh, you know other coaches and so forth. Whether that has anything to do, it was also pointed out, Corey and Michael, that uh, some you know like I, I think it was Kirby Smart said, you know, then they don't they don't go into the portal much at all. I, if you look at their roster, he likes to develop freshmen and bring in freshmen and develop his team like that. But he pointed out that he's he's aware. How some some coaches, whether it be scouts or whatever, actually go out and look at other teams' prospects as a possibility if they enter the portal. So that's an issue that's not going away by any means. And, you know, for a coach like Hugh Freeze, who you mentioned, Corey, about an hour ago, you know, even though he says he'd like to see it end, if he didn't have that going for him this year, it might take him a little bit longer to get this program back on its feet.
4: Lee, how in your opinion does a 12-team the, obviously the 12-team playoff is looming, how does that change? And you know, I know you said coaches obviously aren't the ones who are voting on this, but you have to assume the ADs are going to listen to the opinions of the coaches. So you know, how do you think that the looming 12-team playoff changes the scope of opinions on the entire issue?
3: Well, it even goes beyond the ADs. The ADs, uh, it's the presidents who vote. The ADs and coaches will be out of here tomorrow. That's their last day, and we get a chance to maybe do some one-on-ones tomorrow when when they leave their little closed-door meetings. It's actually the presidents, and some of the issues that I've seen, I, I just don't get. It's so... Hypocritical, hypocritical. You know, like, well, we're worried if we play nine games, more chance of injuries. Well, why would you have more chance of an injury playing another SEC school rather than playing a Western Carolina or an Eastern Carolina or a school like that? Uh, you know, and they they like to shy away from the issue of money, but we all know that's what it's all about. That they're not. Concerned as much with money as they are about other things, and of course, what would that affect their team going into a 12-team uh, college football playoff format? Uh, worried about maybe another loss, you know, could hurt them. But come on, let's face it. You know, the SEC is so strong; you got to figure that, in my opinion, just guesswork that there's going to no less than three SEC schools would make a 12-team format, and maybe even four for that matter. So. I don't buy into any of that, and I I think I hope they go ahead and vote that nine-game schedule because I think that's where the SEC belongs, just like the other Power Five conferences. Now, when Nick Saban uh, kind of shied away from that question, uh, he had been an advocate of 12, or I'm sorry, the nine-game format, but he kind of backed off that and said his contention is we still want everybody should play a Power Five team anywhere okay uh, and just get away from anybody else but a power five team so instead of saying let's play a ninth game against the sec he just said make sure it's a power five team so that, that was some of the uh conversation that went on today The the three issues being the schedule tampering and the, the portal of course nil was a big issue also uh, coaches were asked about nil and, and there were some jokes made about that as you know
2: well, Lee, I know your fine sponsors are the ones who allow us to have the great coverage and to get any additional information on a day-to-day basis while you're there. Let us know some of those great sponsors who are making this possible.
3: Well, I'd like to uh, commend uh, Spa and Tub Manufacturers. Uh, they're your pool and swim spa connection. there in Chickasaw. Uh, certainly Greer's Market and Cash Saver, they came aboard. Chick-fil-A came aboard also t bachelor and sun heating and air conditioning i do want to thank them and the urology associates uh, and their phrase is you deserve to be in expert hands as is the final drive in expert hands with you and michael
2: oh how nice of you lee appreciate that lee and i I tell you looking forward to talking to you again tomorrow and getting a wrap up on what the commissioner had to say this evening and kind of seeing engaging where his temperature is with the media we kind of got a sneak peek on that this morning on your show about him talking about landing the plane so We'll see exactly where his stance is on that, the portal, NIL, and all other topics that can be brought up to the commissioner of the SEC. And look forward to talking with you again tomorrow.
3: Appreciate it, guys. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. Bye-bye now. Lee Shervaney getting ready to hit
2: the beaches and the hot tubs for sure. And we were talking a a, a moment ago about also the NBA and, and the great series, the Game 7 series, between the Heat and the Celtics. Now, now, what I, I know this for a fact, you go back to last year, and Jimmy Butler was an absolute prophet in regards to how he felt the Miami Heat would find themselves ready to be in this position again last year, Jimmy Butler.
7: Like I said, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to play with the guys that I did have the opportunity to play with, and it's been like that every year that I've played in the league. So we had enough. Um, Next year, we will have enough, and we're gonna be right back in the same situation, and uh, we're gonna get it done.
2: That was Jimmy Butler a year ago, saying that the Heat were gonna find themselves back in the position. Probably not the way he expected it. it. (laughs) Blowing a 3-0 lead, but but no, three games to none. Jimmy Butler, I, I don't really think he flinched because he said, "Look, I'm just gonna go get a beer, and I'm just gonna play cards." And I'm not I'm just gonna be kinda laid back. And you could see with the way the Miami Heat played last night that they were the more relaxed and laid back team. And you yeah. would have thought it would have been the other way around. It's a more relaxed and laid back coach. Well, again, you, you think that Missoula should be fired. Yeah, I do. And I, I still say no way to that. I mean, you have Nick Nurse going to the Philadelphia 76ers and of course Bob Myers. The yeah, general manager retired. for the Golden State Warriors stepping down. Ideal time. That team's about to be a mess. So Well, I mean, he's won four world championships, yeah. so, so he's kind of done His all that he can do. But kid. that does let you know that the Golden State Warriors are about to implode. Now. And you feel that the Boston Celtics should split up their Tatum Ooh. and Brown combination. Well...
4: We'll see how much room they have. Both are going to demand a Supermax. Obviously, you have to give it to Tatum. And Brown disappears in big games, man. They needed him last night. Tatum rolled an ankle, and he was still at the. Obviously, he didn't have a very good game. He was playing on a sprained ankle. Uh, and Brown was, frankly, terrible last night. We'll we'll get into that debate. And uh, Missoula fired or not, at uh, probably at uh, the bottom of the hour here. But, geez, I mean, it w- it was just... It was just not good. I mean, the Celtics, look Celtics when they're not making shots, are just like a bit lost and they have no way to figure it out. That's why probably the records were as they were when they couldn't make shots. It's, I, I'm impressed they even found a way not to blow Game 7. It took Bam out of bio not boxing out Derek White for them to be able to win that game because uh, they really were on the way to blowing it. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a big offseason ahead for Boston. We'll see how many actual big dramatic changes they truly make.
2: Well, the fact that the Miami Heat have so many undrafted players on their roster, Caleb Martin undrafted, Duncan Robinson III undrafted, Gabe Vincent undrafted, Maxtrous undrafted. You have to look at management and the fact that Pat Riley and Eric Spoelstra know what they're doing and getting it done is what they've been able to do with not a lot of superstars. And the fact you mentioned about what do you do with the money when you don't have a lot of superstars, you're able to share the wealth. And I think that's what it takes to win a championship. Just, just the way structurally and financially the NBA is set up. The final drive with Corey Labonte and Michael Broner. We'll be right back. Hi,
8: this is Bill Hancock, executive director of the college football Playoffs. And you are listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile.
2: The final drive here on WNSP 105.5, a Tuesday edition with Corey Labounty and my producer Michael Bronner. And we bring in locked on SEC host Chris Gordy to keep us up to date and to give his thoughts on the SEC tying the record number of teams that were entering the NCAA Baseball Tournament 8 regional host is very impressive when you start looking at the SEC trying to win another national championship.
6: It is, and I remember coming on with you guys about a month ago, and I remember saying it at the time, and it still didn't feel real, but I kept saying Alabama and Auburn, you know, if they could get hot, could, could have a chance to, to, to host a regional site still. And, you know, both teams are kind of going through a rough patch. And then, you know, obviously Auburn starts to click and wins a couple series. It so felt like maybe that LSU series is kind of a turning point for them. And then Alabama, they fire Brad Bohannon and, and look at how red hot they got. So it's it, um, it, it was a little shocking, but it was also, you know, kind of expected because uh, the SEC was so deep, I think, this year as a, as a baseball league. And so not surprising uh, with eight, eight host sites in the conference.
2: Yeah, Chris, I mean, they absolutely beat up on one another, as evident. You had a couple of coaches who lost their job. And we're talking about Ole Miss not wanting to extend the contract option on their head coach in regards to the athletic director one year ago and Ole Miss winning the national championship. If you can't get a contract extension – one year after winning a national championship in any sport, that just goes to let you know that this league is cutthroat.
6: Well, and that situation's a little unique because they were a, a year ago they were ready to move on for Mike Bianco. I mean, he's been there a long time and he's beloved, but you know sometimes things just run their course and it's time to you know just let part ways, let's move on, and that's kind of where Ole Miss was. And then they, they punched their ticket to the postseason they get red hot they win the whole thing I mean it's a memory Ole Miss fans will never you know they'll never take away but I think a lot of them as the season went along said look we love Mike we appreciate the the College World Series title but also man like we may have to go a different direction here soon so it's a tough situation to be I mean look at uh, look at Mississippi State I mean they won a championship two years ago but ever since then it's been a lot of bad and so Yeah, it's just one of those weird things where, you know, you win a championship, but, man, if you don't pick up some sustained success from that, uh, look at football. I mean, Ed Ogeron didn't even last three seasons after winning a championship. So it's just sometimes you win that title, but, you know, to answer the question, how long does a title buy you, not much is the answer.
4: Chris, we'll get to football in a second, but I do want to ask you, was Alabama – Underseated? I they take three out of four from Auburn. They're higher in the RPI than them. I, I, I don't get how, how one can explain that.
6: I think body of work. I mean if you watch if you watch them this year, I thought I thought the seating was fair. I know there were some people at Auburn who were upset at their seating. It's just I, I you gotta take the full season into account. You know, RPI I think we put too much stock into I mean, look, Georgia. Georgia's RPI, I think, at the end of the season was 41 or something like that. They fired their coach, so RPI is not the end-all be-all. It's a good, it's a good metric to, to look at and determine. Okay, we beat some good teams, we lost to some good teams, but I think overall they got it right. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about they didn't think it was fair matching up LSU with Kentucky, you know, as regionals, in that you know maybe Oklahoma State. Maybe you could have slid them up a spot and bumped Kentucky down a spot. That way you're not having two SEC teams meeting in the the super regional. But I thought the selection committee was pretty fair with their seedings. I thought they they stayed pretty true to where teams, you know, at least the top 16 teams, they thought they were ranked. And I didn't have a problem with it. Um, Now, look, some teams got better draws than others. You know, Arkansas, for being one of the best teams in the league. Getting TCU and Arizona and their regional—that's a brutal regional. Whereas I thought LSU lucked out a little, you know, a team that was number one for much of this year end up as the number five national seed. But they get uh, they they get Oregon State who has terrible pitching. They get uh, Tulane who just you know went like nineteen and forty something, but got hot for one week and won the American, and they're in as the four seed at Baton Rouge. So uh, yeah, look, the draws are a little bit tougher for some teams, but a little bit easier for others.
2: Tim Corbin and the Vanderbilt Commodores, to me, really shocked the SEC and said, look, we're still here. Don't forget about the doors. And we're ready to anchor down. And I know that couldn't have made anybody happier than my mom. She's a Vanderbilt graduate. And she was very excited to see them win it. But not a lot of people going into this tournament had the Vanderbilt Commodores go ahead and succeed. And to me, their regional is really – one of the toughest draws that you could ask for considering that they won the
6: sec. Yeah, it's tough. Um, You know, Vanderbilt's been one of the best. uh, They were one of the four best teams in the conference all year. Uh, It's just, they weren't as talked about. I think everybody kind of talked about LSU, Arkansas, Florida, what they were doing. And I think, you know, we, we kind of ignored Vanderbilt, but they were still right there as one of the four best. So, yeah, look, they, they got it done at the right time. I thought A and M had a chance. You know, A and M's pitching was, was tremendous. The whole SEC tournament, they just kinda ran out of gas. I ran out of arms there against Vanderbilt. And I feel like if they could have gotten some of the earlier performances they or the performances they had earlier in the week, I thought Jim Jim bunch had a chance to win the the SEC tournament. But uh congrats to Vandy, it was it was a great run. But uh again now it's uh now it's time to flip that switch and it's 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 winter go home. And so Yeah, I'm really going to be curious to see how some of these regionals play out this weekend. Because like you said, some of them are a little bit tougher than others. And I made a prediction a few weeks ago. I said the SEC is going to get a handful of teams into Omaha. But, man, we we got to get through uh, this week unscathed.
2: Yeah, I'm with you on that. And talking about unscathed, the scheduling for college football moving forward. Of course, with the addition of Oklahoma and Texas, that's one of the big things that presidents and ADs and college coaches are in Destin, Florida, talking about right now. And the expansion, whether you go eight or nine games, I think that whether you decide to go with a rotating, three permanent, or with one permanent, To me, eight or nine games with the expanding playoffs is not going to make a difference besides the bottom line.
6: Yeah, here's my big problem with all this. What what it's coming down to is it's coming down to to the money. And I I just like as as much credit as we give Greg Sankey for having the the hindsight on a lot of things and being such a great leader of the SEC – I just wonder when they entered these contract agreements with ESPN and ABC and the SEC Network on renewing the, you know, doing the TV deal and getting away from CBS. You knew at that he knew at that time they were going to be expanding, and he had to know at the time that at least on the table consider in consideration would be the SEC could go to a nine-game schedule. Um, what's happening right now is they're going to the table and telling ESPN, well, look, we've got this TV contract that starts in 2024, but we're thinking of going from an eight game SEC schedule to a nine game schedule. And if we do that, uh, we need more money. Uh, you know, this, this agreement was made when we were only playing an eight game SEC schedule, and the ESPN and the networks are going, well, look guys, we, we have a deal here already. I mean, look, uh, you know, you, you guys will get some extra money from some SEC games playing, but um it, it just feels like this is one where Greg Sankey should have had a little bit more hindsight and say hey if we you know put a caveat in there if we do expand to more conference games then we get more money um it just seems like that is the biggest deal I know Sankey has said oh it's not about the money it's always about the money never whenever anybody says it's not about the money it's always about mm-hmm. the money and and that's where the holdup here is and so it's a shame I think it's going to be an absolute shame if we go to An eight-game, you know, stick with an eight-game conference schedule in 2024 when Texas and Oklahoma get here. Because the talk is they would only go to a one permanent rivalry, and and just think of all the great rivalries we're going to lose. Now they said it may only be a one-year deal, and then they'll revisit the nine-game schedule. But man, it feels like this should have all been worked out a long time ago.
4: Chris, it's uh, it's been a few weeks, so it's about time to to check in. I think you know where I'm going with this one. Who's gonna start at quarterback for Al I think you've answered if I'm if I have this correct, I think we've gone with Buckner and Milrow in two separate answers thus far. So is there a change yet? Are we
6: throwing a third name in the hat yet? Yeah, I had somebody sell me on Ty Simpson over the weekend, so let's go with Ty Simpson. So we got all three all three are
4: down now. <laughs>
6: I don't know. I mean, again, I you know, I think Greg McElroy. He, he doubled down a week ago and said he thinks it's Tyler Buckner, and, and that's you know, he didn't come to Alabama to sit. I just, it, it, it's fascinating, man. For for a team like this, and I, I've seen some publications this week bounce back in Alabama's corner, saying, look, it doesn't matter who Alabama's quarterback is. They're talented. Uh, they've got a talented enough roster to where they should be a top five team anyway. So. You know, if you believe that you want to buy stock in them, go go buy some future tickets on Alabama to win the SEC and win the SEC West. But I just I can't I can't do it. I can't fully buy in until I know who that signal caller is. And again, if it is one of the you know one of Buckner or Milrow or uh, Ty Simpson, and that guy comes out and looks great, you know all the better for Alabama. A chance for them to go undefeated, and and lo and behold, that quarterback that's up in the air could fi- find himself in the Heisman conversation if all goes well. So. It still will continue to be one of the biggest talking points of the summer uh, just because it's Alabama, and this is not a problem they've had for nearly a decade.
2: No, it, it's not a problem at all, and and I will say this about in regards to Alabama and really the SEC in general. We talked moments ago about the fact that they're a, a record-tying 10 SEC teams in the college baseball hunt for a World Series championship. You You have in the college world series in softball you have alabama and tennessee opening up against one another and all those draws why do you think it is that in opening up the two sec schools that get in you pit them together automatically out of the shoot in the women's college world series
6: yeah i was a little disappointed with that i was kind of hoping they would put them on opposite sides of the bracket and I know some people have said, oh, well, you know, if one lose, the loser will go through the loser's bracket, the winner can stay in the winner's bracket, and all that. But I just, I would have rather to split it up where, you know, the only way they can meet is in the championship. But I know a lot of the other conferences have gotten angry because we've had some SEC versus SEC championships in recent years in football and baseball and, um, you know, some other sports. So I, I get it why maybe they wanted to say, no, let's put these two up against each other in round one. Uh, but kudos to Montana Fox uh, incredible performance from her the other night, and good to see her back out there and uh, and pitching well because I know she had a little scare there a couple weeks ago. But uh, I don't know, man. Tennessee looked pretty loaded against Texas, and uh, Alabama's looked great all year. So it's uh, I don't know. Don't ask my opinion. It's any anybody's tournament, but let's just hope whoever advances from the SEC, Alabama or Tennessee, that that one wins another title.
2: We had this question posed earlier at the beginning of our show: whether Nick Saban, when he made the comment that it's not a business, collegiate athletics is not a business from a true business standpoint, I understand college athletics, nonprofit organization, but how can collegiate athletics not be considered a business?
6: I mean, it certainly is. It's a, it's a billion dollar business. When you look at all the revenues from sponsorships, to TV deals to everything else, um, I will say, like I, I was not a fan of Eli Drinkwich getting up there today at SEC meetings and saying, "Oh, you know, what I mean, NIL is becoming a problem." We got, uh, you know, my we got players who are making more NIL money than my my brother-in-law, who's a pediatrician. It's like, look, when when these coaches open their mouths and say things like this, they just look stupid. And you know, look, the, the NIL thing has been a problem for so many years, and the inequity in players and the talent they bring to the field and not being able to capitalize off of that talent financially. Finally, we're in a spot where they were or where they can. I think any coach, if I'm a coach in America right now and I get up at a podium with a microphone in front of me, the only thing I'm saying is, man, isn't it great that our players can make a little money? That that should be the only thing you're saying. I know there's some issues that people are having with, you know, Nick had the issues with Jimbo and is A&M doing something dirty you know, I know Billy Napier said today, oh, we got some issues here and there. Nobody wants to hear about that. Like, no fans, for the most part, don't give a crap. Like, we, blue chips is a thing that's gone back for so many years. We know players get paid by certain programs. It's it just for years it was under the table. Now it's kind of on the up and up. You could do it legally. I just think anytime a coach says anything, and I know they're trying to take shots at the other schools, all it looks like is you're the old stodgy rich coach that doesn't like players getting money. And nobody wants to hear that. So, to me, I would just say more of these coaches understand a little bit about where you are when you make six million a year, or eight million a year, or nine million a year, and you want to get up there and cry for everybody. Oh, we got so many issues, and so many problems. Talk it out, Buttercup. Figure it out, and get your butt back to work. And just say, you know, do it with a smile and say, "Man, in in college football, great." Like that's all we want to hear. I just, I, I just get so fed up with some of these coaches sometimes telling us how difficult they have it. Everyone's going through the same stuff. Deal with it.
2: And I tell you, you're exactly right in regards to just it's 2023 to where you're just going to have to deal with it. And I like to deal with all your great coverage of everything that's all SEC. So how can we go and continue and our listeners get locked into everything that you bring to the SEC?
6: Yeah, just locked on SEC wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be talking all week about takeaways from the SEC meetings. We'll check in with a couple of our buddies who are down there in Destin with some of the big storylines and takeaways, but the big storyline we'll be talking about is what will that 2024 SEC schedule look like, and guys, let's be honest, if they stick with the eight, schedule, the eight SEC schedule, uh, somebody's going to get screwed here. Somebody's going to get South Carolina and Vanderbilt, while somebody else is going to have to go to Oklahoma and to Texas. So can't wait to, say, to see who gets messed over and who gets the benefit, but uh, we know it's coming
2: chris gordy joining us this afternoon on the final drive as always thank you so much for your time and we look forward to talking to you again next week
6: thanks guys talk to you then the
2: final drive will be right back with cory levante and my great producer michael brauner
0: hi i'm vernon lundquist from cbs sports you're listening to wnst mobile alabama
1: Obviously, there's a lot that can happen for you over the course of this summer. Have have you been able to kind of think about your future here and, and what you're hoping for?
7: I expected to win today um, and move on. And that's what my focus was on. That's what my focus has been on. Uh, we failed. I failed. And it's hard to think about anything else right now. To be honest, we'll um, cross that bridge when we get there.
2: Cross that bridge when we get there. Well, i tell you, the Celtics are in a situation with leadership. Do they keep this core together, or do they go ahead and, and start transforming their roster also? It's a team that second-seeded in mm. the East and come away, and I know – you're not too high on their head coach but their head coach found a way to, to to rally the troops and really when he put things in perspective you he really had a quote that I'm gonna probably keep in my brain for the rest of my life in regards to what he does with his downtime and yeah. he said you know he spoke with the the young ladies 21 year olds who, who had cancer and that put his life in perspective and Put his his thoughts on God in perspective and hoisting the trophy and, and giving honor to God when you hoist the trophy. Outside of that, you know I, I think that he's done a phenomenal job.
4: Well, man, now you you had to bring up the fact that he's a really good guy, right? As I'm about right <laughs> as I'm about to go <laughs> in on him, that I, f- I feel like that there, wasn't very fair of
2: you. You? Know, you can still go <laughs> in on him because Let, I guarantee there I, were plenty of Celtics fans yeah. last night in that building that went off on him.
4: No, I and I'm I'm you know if you haven't seen that clip, go check it out missoula does appear to be a uh really good dude and 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 all that certainly uh keeps things in perspective and 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 all that stuff so uh you know i have nothing negative to say about joe missoula the person obviously i don't know the guy but that was a uh a really nice thing to hear but any, anyway <laughs> i had to address that you know i feel like that was kind of an unfair card for you to pull but anyway <laughs> uh yeah so uh so that was jalen brown the audio you heard We'll see what happens this summer. Obviously, there's a lot of questions to be answered. Celtics are in an interesting spot now because, obviously, when it was 3-0, it was kind of the situation where, all right, we're going to get swept and we're just going to fire Missoula and probably trade Jalen Brown and move on from there. But now you come back. Uh, you make it 3-3. You feel like you are pro- You were probably good enough to win that series if you had made some shots in Game 7, uh, didn't make shots in Game 6 and still won, but anyway, that's besides the point. Uh... Yeah, they're 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 in an interesting spot. They enter an offseason where there's probably going to be a lot of change. What that change exactly is, I don't know. I mean Jalen Brown is certainly a big trade piece. I don't know how much salary cap they room. I they, how how much salary cap room they have. I know Tatum and Brown are both eligible for Supermaxes. I just I don't know, man. I'm kinda out on Jalen Brown. He disappears in big games. They needed him so badly last night after Tatum got hurt. And he just he he was terrible. he was there's no other way there's no way to sugarcoat Jalen Brown last night he was awful, and uh, as for Missoula, yeah, I think they more came back in spite of him rather than because of him. I mean game four uh was kind of a domination game five they couldn't miss a shot game six was uh you know they really had to cling to not blowing a lead there at the end, and you know chuck chuck up a Marcus smart three and you know Derek White is just crashing the board i i don't know i i just I don't give missoula. The credit for for leading them back obviously a little bit of it but i don't know i i just i'm just out on on the brown missoula era i think uh keep tatum obviously that that's goes without saying but brad stevens should just come in and coach this team and just uh well he
2: tried that before well i understand but then he had had enough i think that you know brad stevens is one of the greatest x's and o guys that you can find and i think that he's enjoying his, his leadership role but I think Missoula, in his first year, did a great job. It doesn't take away the fact that Jalen Brown, even though he scored 19 points, one out of nine from the three-point line is not going to get it done in a game seven. He had some bad turnovers too. He just wasn't good. You no, know, eight turnovers. Yeah, you, you can't Whew. you can't have that from from a guy who who is an all-star player. Now, when you look at on the other side of that, folks forget that Jimmy Butler, even though he has playoff Jimmy has activated it 28 points last night. Here's a guy who wasn't even an all-star this year. And you wonder why he I, wasn't an
4: all-star. I don't get it, man. What 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 is it about the playoffs that uh you know, these the definition of a clutch player, man. He turns it on in the playoffs and he did he did nothing in game 5 and obviously that led to a Celtics win. I think he only had 14 in game 5 and did enough in game 6 but you know it cl- hits the clutch three free throws and then they just can't get a stop. But then he was he was very solid last night but last night was the story of Caleb Martin. He was spectacular last night. He couldn't miss. He really just as a team couldn't miss. Struess was good. Duncan Robinson even was good. He chuck he does some chucking himself. Duncan Robinson he kind of takes some shots. I feel like he shouldn't take it. Tyler Hero is going to be back.
2: Sounds like Game Three they're see, targeting. See that's huge to me. We'll see. You know it we'll just see if adds we're just down two zero already. Of what you're able to do because yeah. Robinson he took a lot of heat literally right, in Game so. Six for missing two wide open looks from beyond the arc. But Tyler Hero he adds that dimension to the Miami Heat. Of course, they're already missing Victor Oladipo, who's not coming out mm-hmm. with his not coming back because of his knee problem. But the Miami Heat, you you know a person that's not gonna get any minutes at all and is just enjoying the <laughs> ride is Udonis Haslam.
4: Yeah, he probably has like the best role in sports uh, right man, now.
2: Absolutely loving it, man. I mean, he twenty years in the office in the same franchise, the same organization, you look at box scores, you're you're always going to see a DMP next to Yadonis Haslam, and it's going to be a coach's decision. But, but why do you at this point in time? But in, in, in game seven, when you look at what Tatum was able to do, scoring 51 in the previous mm. round against Philly, in game seven, not to say that he was going to go for fifty again, but you definitely don't want to see him go down, twist it or tweak an ankle yeah, on the first play of the game. It looked
4: nasty too, and it, you could see it, him suck it up. Yeah, no, he he gritted it out. Credit to him. I mean, he played really. I'd have to look at the box score if you if you have in yeah. front of. Tell me how many minutes he played, but uh, pretty yeah. much the entire game. He played like the whole when, second half. Yeah, I know when, he when came out early in the at first. What he but. was
2: able to do. As far as from his minutes standpoint. Yeah. Forty two minutes. Yeah. Nah, I mean, like come off. What like what what more It's about Jalen Brown? It's like, man, you gotta step up. And, and you y- take away those last two minutes to where, you know, they did the curtain call yeah. for him. So your brother's you, out here playing on an It should have like, like inspired. a sprained ankle. It, it should have inspired the and Celtics you, to do a lot better. God, I, I just hate the fact that we didn't get a chance to see what we saw in game number six from a dramatic Just a standpoint. good game you, you wanted up. to see a good game yeah. there's no way you wanted to see it and i think charles barkley summed it up perfectly as far as what we were all witnessing at halftime by the boston celtics because no one really knew what the celtics were doing and that included all the boston celtics fans and here's charles barkley summing it all up at halftime jimmy
6: butler
0: first half Give me your impressions of what he's been able to do. He's got 11. I thought he was good, but I got to say something, man. Why are you dumbass selfishly making my head hurt? Ernie, <laughs> let me tell you something. Glad I asked you about Jimmy Butler. I know, I but I, I can't let it go, man. I know, I know. You got if you just come to the game and say, we're just going to jack up threes, and if we win, we're going to win. If we miss it, we're going to lose.
2: Charles Barkley never at a loss for words. That's for sure, but... I think he encapsulated a lot of people's thoughts, and it didn't get any better for the Celtics in the second half. It was bad. Shooting from beyond the arc, because, as I said earlier, when you attempt 42 threes in game seven, you're happy if you hit 16 out of 42. Nine out of 42 from beyond the arc, not going to get it done at all in game number seven. And now you see. Jokic and Butler yeah they they brought smoke after one another and I can't wait for that rematch because a year ago we'll go back and we'll revisit that here a little later on on the final drive on WNSP 105.5 This is Charlie Farley from
8: the
6: University of Alabama.
0: You're listening to 105.5 WNSP Roll Time
2: Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5, and it's time now for our golf report brought to you by Dan Hart, LLC, Engineered Product and Services, and John Reschetti on the phone lines. Reschetti, hope all is well, and you had a great long Memorial Day weekend. It was filled with plenty of golf.
8: Well, I, I, there was a lot of golf going on, but just not by me. I was in Texas uh, over the weekend at a wedding and spent a couple of days uh, in Austin, Texas, and, and uh, I just kept giving the roll, t- roll, tide, war eagle everywhere I went down in uh, in Austin on Sunday, and that didn't go over too well. But I'm back in uh, back in the city and uh, looking forward to talking golf.
2: Absolutely. And, it, you know, it's it's been one of those stories to me that fascinates me the most is Michael Block and what he was able to accomplish in the PGA Championship. And he's really been a huge story and really a motivational story for all the golf pros and those who are just looking to make it on the big circuit.
8: Well, yeah, it is. Uh, it was definitely a limit. I don't want to take anything away from the guy. I mean, uh, to accomplish what he did uh, uh, last week at the PGA two weeks ago, whatever at the PGA Championship, but it was incredible. And uh, what he's turned that into now—not only in a, in the world of golf, but financially and everything—that that one week did for him. Uh, but you know, I, I you know, people, I get this asked this question all the time. Can he sustain that momentum on the PGA Tour? Uh, I don't think so. I just thought he was at the right place at the right time. Uh, I know he's performed. what he finished dead last, close to last at the uh, Colonial. Now he's got an exemption in the Canadian Open. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't want to take anything away from the guy. The guy did great, but I just don't think he is a legit day-in, day-out PGA Tour pro.
4: Yeah, I mean, I. not to take anything away from the guy, like you said. I, the uh, the quote about having Rory's distance and being one of the best players in the world at that point kind of made me think, all right, you know, it was a nice story, but I've had about enough of this guy.
8: Nah, he's, I mean, listen, man, he's at the right place at the right time. He, 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 he plays spectacular. Can't take anything away from him, but, I mean... You know, can he be a regular on the PGA Tour? Well, we'll see. He's got one more chance. I think uh, if he falters somewhat at the Canadian Open, if he doesn't make the cut at the Canadian Open, uh, I think this story will probably be done. I don't think, uh, from what I I haven't heard, any other other tours, uh, excuse me, any other uh, events on a PGA Tour, looking to give him a sponsor's exemption. But, uh, listen, it's a great story. Awesome for the guy. But I'm just calling it the way it is based on – I just do not think his game's got the game to be day in and day out to play uh, on the PGA Tour.
2: Got about one minute left with you, Rashetti. And do you think the Ryder Cup teams will be affected by the live ties at all?
8: Well, did you see John Rahm today? Uh, John Rahm came. Uh, he, he was, you know, obviously the PGA Tour is Jacksonville Memorial this week. Uh, he was flat out say, said that it doesn't matter where you play. It needs to be the best players from Europe and the best players from the United States, and he flat out said that. And he and he gave a shout out to his boys Garcia about you know he's one of the best all time best Ryder Cup players. You can't imagine him not playing. So anyway, we'll see where this story goes. Uh, you know, it is what it is. I just think that uh, uh, the PJ Tour. Oh, excuse me, the PJ of America you know, which trust me, the PJ Tour has got a lot to say. Even though they don't run the Ryder Cup, they got a lot to say. Uh I, I personally think they're gonna they don't want them playing. But if you qualify, uh like Brooks Kepka, I I'm i I'll leave you with this. Zach Johnson is in his sleep every night hoping, hoping that Brooks Kepka makes it on the top six because he does not want to be in the position. That he has to make a decision, are you gonna pick Brooks Kepka even though he finished eighth in the thing? He does not want that to happen because that that will be the story of the Ryder Cup. Flat out, why didn't you take Brooks Kepka? Why is he not playing? You know, why, you know, blah blah blah. So I know for a fact he's doing that.
2: John Roschete will be coming up at six o'clock in the John Roschete. Golf Show brought to you by Miller Lite. Look forward to catching up with you in the end, John.
8: All right, guys. Keep up the great work. I'll talk to you guys next Monday.
2: Appreciate you. John Reschetti joining us this afternoon for the Dan Hart, LLC, Engineer Product and Services Golf Report. 5 o'clock hour coming at you here on the final drive Tuesday edition. Zach Blackerby will be joining us next. Welcome to hour number three of the final drive here on a Tuesday edition. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you this evening. And so much going on with Alabama and Auburn from a college World Series standpoint, softball standpoint. Of course, we have the SEC meetings going on down in Destin and the Auburn Tigers. A lot of people say it, it's a great time to be an Auburn Tiger. And, of course, Hugh Freeze down in Destin today, chimed in on a plethora of topics. And who better to bring on than Zach Blackerby, host of Locked On Auburn, here on the final drive. Zach, good evening and thanks for joining us.
9: Yeah, always a pleasure to uh, chat with you guys this week on a, on a Tuesday instead of a Monday, switching it up a bit.
2: Yeah, it definitely still feels like a Monday, but we'll take it in stride and, <laughs> and run with it. Uh, I, You know, Hugh Freeze getting back to Destin and speaking in front of all of the SEC reporters and SEC faithful. There were a couple of weeks ago. It's kind of been quiet as kept as far as from an athletic department suspension Standpoint, and I, I won't name any players because, again, Auburn has just said that there is discipline issues that have gone in within their athletic department. Have you been surprised at how quiet has kept an issue like this has been? Because normally, when issues arise in the off season, it's something that's addressed swiftly, and you can't really run and hide from the media.
9: Yeah, I think this impacts, you know, more than just student athletes. So I think it's going to be handled a little bit differently than some of these other things. Uh, I think there's kind of probably some legality that's uh, being discussed as well. So, um no, I I don't think it does surprise me. Um I do think I am curious to see how Auburn like handles it, like if the if the verdict is even made public or if it's just kind of something that happens and you know fall camp rolls around and you know that that's that i, I am curious to see I, I don't know if there's really going to be an end to this i think it's just going to kind of slowly work itself out but we'll uh yeah we'll see we'll see what happens uh down the road
2: well down the road for the auburn basketball program is great news for bruce pearl Janai Broom decides to go ahead and return to Auburn that has a tremendous signing class. And I think that with him coming back and with the depth that they have coming in from a point guard position, this has to make Auburn a favorite as far as when the preseason polls roll around and as this team gears up for next season.
9: Yeah, I mean, I, I would be a little surprised if Auburn wasn't, preseason top four in the SEC. I think most people are going to have Arkansas at one, and then it may change a little bit after that. But I think Auburn will be a top four team in the SEC going into it, and I think they should be. I think Bruce Pearl has done a great job at addressing several issues that we saw them run into over the the previous two seasons when Auburn just went cold from behind the arc, who could step up and kind of be that person to, to lead them and take that next step. And so he goes out and gets a bunch of dudes that have have been able to shoot threes at a high level uh, consistently at the college level via the transfer portal. And so I think that's a big part of it. And you can tell he built this roster through the portal with the assumption that Jani Broom was going to be at center. And uh, obviously he announced that yesterday, like you said, Corey. So I think Auburn should feel pretty good about, you know the the starter and their backup at all five positions and then leor berman's kind of that you know two three option if you want to um if you need to play 11 guys or some guys go down maybe you know at the guard or the forward position so uh yeah i mean bruce brawl has to feel good about it. there's a chance this is the best shooting team that he's ever had and and i think that could be uh, that could be saying something
4: so zach i i uh I don't wanna call it a conspiracy, but I am gonna call it a conspiracy. How 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 can one explain Alabama taking three out of four from Auburn, having a higher RPI than Auburn, and getting a lower seed than Auburn in postseason play in baseball?
9: Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> I think a lot of it um i guess what has to do with the you know the way auburn finished the season you know they say that that doesn't really matter it's all about rpi and strength of schedule and like you said alabama's rpi was very good and um the strength of schedules were were very similar right and so uh i'm with you if i was an alabama baseball fan i would look at the draw that uh, that alabama got and say like man this is This is pretty tough. Uh, The the regional draw, then if you can get out of the Tuscaloosa regional, all of a sudden, oh, okay, you're you're paired up with with Wake Forest. It's a tough draw, and, you know, when people say seeding doesn't matter, I think you kind of show them this. I think seeding certainly, certainly does matter. As far as why, I I don't know. I I, I don't know, but I would guess it would have to do with how Auburn ended the season and what they did, you know, against LSU – and against South Carolina, and then down the stretch with Ole Miss and, and Missouri. But, um, yeah, I think Auburn kind of got the benefit of the doubt. And there's a lot of national pundits saying the same thing.
4: Now, it sounds like, call me crazy if I'm crazy, but it sounds like you're bought in on there's a conspiracy going on here.
9: I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. You know, I, I think there's a lot of inconsistencies with every committee that creates a postseason bracket. Um, but I think Auburn I think Auburn deserved it. I don't know if they necessarily deserved to be as high as where they were, but I do think they deserved the host, and they certainly got that. And look, in an Auburn's draw, I mean, it, I think it's pretty favorable. Um, Lindsey Crosby, I think, goes on with you guys. Um, he points out how good Penn is, and, of course, that's who Auburn will open things up against Friday at 6 o'clock and Plainsman Park against uh, a pretty talented Penn team. They're the four seed, but – We'll certainly see how that stacks out in the Sanford and, and Southern Miss. It's a very winnable region for the Auburn Tigers.
2: With the great tradition of Auburn baseball, including an appearance in the College World Series a year ago, it's hard for me to imagine. This is the first time in program history that they're hosting our NCAA regional at Plainsman Park for two years in a row. And I think that that's pretty impressive in and of itself especially considering where Auburn baseball was about a month and a half ago.
9: Yeah, yeah I mean it really turned it on the second half of the uh of the season. Uh, no doubt about it, especially you know really leading into that South Carolina series where it's like okay, if they can just steal one against South Carolina, and just steal one against LSU and you know maybe win some series against Ole Miss and Missouri, you know maybe that's enough to just get in. And then all of a sudden You win all of those series and and now you're hosting and you got a pretty favorable draw. You know, Corey, it always seems like Auburn baseball's in it, but, you know, they haven't, um, they really haven't hosted that many regionals in in the program's history until Butch Thompson came along. And so uh, it's pretty remarkable what this group of young men have been able to do. You talk about changing the program and raising the bar and leaving things better than you found it. They certainly did that. They've certainly done that. And it seems like that's been Butch Thompson's message to this team and now it's okay, cool. Uh what are you gonna do with it now? Um and, and it'll be fun to see exactly what all that looks like starting this Friday at six o'clock when they uh when they host Penn.
2: We're speaking with Zach Blackerby, host of Locked On Auburn and Zach, Brian Harson last week opened his mouth in regards to his time at Auburn, the two years oh, that a lot gosh. of Auburn Tiger fans <laughs> would love to forget and he just said that sometimes he saw the good in people and sometimes he saw the bad in people. And at the end of the day, he can only say so much because of that buyout. But you knew that Harson was gonna have to say something sooner or later, good or bad.
9: It's um look I, I don't blame Harson for that article at all. Um, he's trying to, you know, he wants to be, come across as the victim in this situation. And he can do that. And he found a guy in Chris Lowe at ESPN that would only write his side of the story. And I think that's cool. Uh, good for him. Uh, good for Brian Harson. He's got a lot of money. If I had that much money, I certainly would never care about what anybody thought of me. But, you know, I, I think that's still important to Brian Harson. And so, you know, good for him. I'm glad he was able to get that. But Chris Lowe, I mean, you know, being this this guy that's kind of a sports journalist at the highest level, you know, you you kind of expect at least some kind of pushback to some of this. But um, everybody wants to act like, you know, Auburn's this, you know, big, bad wolf and, like, not acknowledge the fact that they've had, you know, of the schools in the SEC, there's not many – that have had fewer coaches uh, leading their football programs since, you know, 2000. But nobody really wants to address that. Nobody wanted to address in the article that the reason you've had three coaches in four years is because the guy that you're interviewing didn't do the job and didn't want to recruit and didn't want to fundraise and didn't want to do anything that it really took to be successful as a head coach in the Southeastern Conference. But that's not what the article is about. The article is uh, all all about painting – Brian Harsin is a victim, and uh, and that's what it did.
2: How far do you really feel that the Auburn Tigers baseball program can go? Can, can they make a repeat back to the College World
9: Series? I think so. I think even with the way that it's drawn, it's almost, it almost would be a little bit of a disappointment if they didn't. You know, you, you don't want to really, like, put that pressure on them, but – their situation, their path to Omaha is as good as anybody's. I mean, seriously, you know, you, you talk about the, the, the matchups within their regional. So I think they should feel pretty good about their chances to get out of there. And then you look at the other regional that they're paired with, it's Clemson. And Clemson may not get out of the Clemson regional because Tennessee's just kind of sitting there as the uh, as the two-seed there. And obviously, if Clemson doesn't win that, whoever wins that regional would go to Auburn, assuming Auburn won it. And so Auburn in a real shot to host a super regional at Plainsman Park because most of the projections and a lot of the experts are saying Tennessee is the best bet to get out of Clemson. So I think even at what, regardless of Auburn were to host Tennessee or some other team in a super or go to Clemson, I think a lot of people would feel good about Auburn's chances. So it's tough. I mean, don't get me wrong. Just because I say it's, an, it's a more realistic path than most other folks and their footing and, and positioning in the NCAA tournament at this point, like it's still a hard road to get to Omaha. But you got to feel good about it. I mean, I think Auburn was really, really gifted a solid opportunity by the committee.
2: The calendar is about to turn, and of course, that does mean the recruiting's getting ready to rev up on the plains as camps are being held. The entire month of june and of course it does mean that the atlanta braves are having an opportunity to continue to hold on to the national league east division atop of it And the last 10 only four and six and lost to the lonely oakland a's last night what's that all about
9: i know that was a very very rough baseball game to watch. I mean, going into it, Oakland only had 10 wins on the season, and now all of a sudden, um, you know, they got their 11th. But it's just, um, I mean, we've we kind of seen an up-and-down situation with this Braves lineup, and that's exactly what we saw last night. And we'll see exactly what it looks like tonight with um, with Bryce Elder, who's, you know, become one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball, um, handling handling things on the mound tonight. I think he leads. I know at one point at the end of the start last week, uh, last week he led Major League Baseball in uh, ERA. I think he still does. So um, we'll see if he can kind of right the ship. And we've seen this before. I mean, you play a home game and then you've got to fly out to the West Coast. I think that stuff matters. So we'll certainly see if um, we'll certainly see if he can right the ship.
4: I got one more basketball question for you, Zach and I Crazy and thinking it's not impossible after Broome today that uh, this Auburn team could be better than 2021.
9: They're deeper than 2021, but you had two NBA guys. You know that that yeah. certainly that certainly helps you. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not quite ready to say that because I, I don't know. Like I think if you say that, then you got to say, okay, I'm picking this team to win the SEC, and I'm just not quite there yet. And some of that has to do with just the job that Eric Musselman has done at Arkansas, I think they're going to be really, really dang good this year. And so I'm not quite ready to say that just because you don't if, – if one of these guys that have come in has the ability, or Aiden Holloway is a true freshman, if somebody on this team has the ability to say, okay, when nothing else is going right, give me the basketball and I'll figure something out like Jabari did, um, then I'll say yes. But until I'm shown that, I'm not quite ready to say that.
2: I, mean, I want to thank you for your wonderful and generous time today that you've given us, Zach. And how can everybody follow all of your Auburn Tiger coverage? As again, it's that time of year to where recruiting is revving up in the month of June. Of course, you have the Auburn baseball program, and you never know when Hugh Freeze is going to drop a nugget or two as well. And for all the fans who want to catch up with your Auburn coverage, how can they do so?
9: Yeah, Locked on Auburn, available wherever you get your podcasts and also on YouTube. And if you want to check out all of uh, my written work, it is at auburndaily.com.
2: Appreciate that very much, Zach. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And this time next week, we'll see if the Auburn Tigers are still alive and the Eye of the Tiger will be on you as far as making those predictions with the Auburn baseball program.
9: Yep, absolutely, guys. Looking forward to chatting with y'all next week.
2: Appreciate it. Zach Blackerby joining us this afternoon on the final drive, and we'll be right back.
1: Hey, this is Slick Willie really Shaw from the world famous Harlem Globe Charters. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP
2: 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And if you missed it in regards to Jimmy Butler and Jimmy Butler being a prophet in regards to predicting his Miami Heat team. I I love it when players are able to call their shot because you looked earlier about Jalen Brown in the series with the Heat. You said, you let us get one. Well, one turned into two, two turned into three. Three couldn't turn into four for the Celtics. And he didn't say, he didn't guarantee they'd win the series. He just said, let them get game one. Let them get game two. And let them get game three. And, of course, going back to Boston, you had to feel real good about it. But Kim Mulkey earlier this year, she called her shot with LSU. And you love to see and hear that when you do that. Because when she took the job, she said that they were going to win and hang banners, a banner that had never been hung at LSU before. Called that shot and they did it. Same thing with Jimmy Butler a year ago in the playoffs saying what he wanted to do.
7: Play with the guys that I did have the opportunity to play with. And it's been like that every year that I've played in the league. Uh, so we had enough. Um, next year, we will have enough. And we're going to be right back in the same situation. And uh, we're going to get it done.
2: A year ago... He felt that they had enough. And next year he said they're going to have some more, that being this year. Now, I I, I applaud Jimmy Butler for making those comments and then backing them up because Jimmy Butler didn't feel rattled, even though in a couple of the games late down the stretches you were trying to figure out where Jimmy Butler was because you knew exactly where he was in game one and two when the Heat absolutely mollywopped the Celtics as far as Jimmy Butler was concerned and him being that go-to guy. And Jimmy Butler, again, is that guy who is not even an all-star in this 2023 NBA season. But he has some great teammates. And one of the things I love about Jimmy, one of his comments last night, the audio, we got some hoopers. We got some real-deal basketball players. And that's evident in Jimmy Butler's comments about his teammates and the confidence that he has in the Miami Heat taking it all the way.
4: I want to ask about something that's been talked about with the Heat for literally decades. But you guys came in as an eight seed
9: and you survived losing three in a row and all the history that was coming down at you. How does that apply to Heat culture, what, what you've been able to accomplish this particular spring?
7: I'm, I'm not going to say losing three in a row is part of the Heat culture that we like to talk about. Because we don't play to lose, we don't want to lose. They're, they're an incredible team over there and it will be for a while. I just think, you know, the guys that Coach Spo and and Coach Pat put together, when a guy goes down, the next guy could fill in that gap and do exactly what that guy that went down did um, and do it at a high level. And then, you know, be humble enough to know that when that guy comes back, you got to take a step back and get back in your role. And nobody ever complains. They always do exactly what you ask of them to do which is why you want to play with guys like that, which is why they're the reason that we win so many games. I don't call them role players. I call them teammates because your role can change any given day, especially with how many games I've missed and, you know, in and out of lineup, off nights, whatever you call it. Um, But we we got some Hoobers. We got some real deal basketball players that can score, can defend, can pass, um, and can win games for us.
2: Now, if you were to tell me – the beginning of the playoffs, that you you knew who the Miami Heat's guys were that were undrafted as far as Caleb Martin and Duncan Robinson and Gabe Vincent. Those are guys that a lot of people hadn't heard of and really had not been productive. And here it is, you look at Vincent or Caleb Martin yesterday having 26 points. Now here's Caleb Martin in the starting lineup for the Miami Heat having – 26 points, and Jalen Brown for the Boston Celtics has 19. Tatum, with the injured ankle, only has 14. But I love the fact that Caleb Martin, he had a little bit to say, too, in regards to why the Heat still has an opportunity and what their ultimate goal is.
3: Caleb, in a moment like this with um going to the finals
4: and playing as well as you did, do you reflect at all on your personal journey from, you know, the undrafted the G League stuff and then to even this year, like you took the place of a of
3: PJ, yeah. which is another another big thing. Um so so what are your reflections in this moment?
7: Uh kinda of a little bit of everything. You reflect on, you know, kinda of, I definitely reflect on where I started and the journey it's taken to get here and you know, even as early as the two way last year. Um but um, I think more than anything, it's kind of a weird feeling because I just, I'm also understanding that as happy as I am, as, as grateful I am to be here, I also understand that, like, we, ha- we have four more. Like, the job's not done. We didn't go through all we went through all regular season and my personal journey to, to, to stop here, you know. So, we you know, we're trying to um, get what we came, came here to get. So, we got four more.
2: The question is will they get four more? And we'll find out Probably Thursday not. night. <laughs> but, but you know, Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat, they have some history with the Denver Nuggets. And even though these two teams only meet up twice a season, you look at what happened a year ago. People forgot that Jokic went ahead and, and took a cheap shot to the back of one of the – Morrison twins and 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 it, it was one of those situations where Jimmy Butler said look I, I got something for you. you you just more Keith Morris got hit in the back by Jokic he said look just meet me in the locker room and he had some other things to say to him too yeah, but I had completely forgotten about that no I mean it, it's one of those situations I where don't think for one minute that when we tip off Thursday when there's a drive down the lane now, even though Morris is not part of the organization, don't think that Jimmy Butler doesn't remember what Jokic has done and did do to his teammate and Bam Adebayo as well.
4: Yeah, no, that things like that do- certainly don't get just uh, forgotten about. So, so we'll see if we'll see if there's any drama between Jokic and Butler in the finals. I'll certainly be rooting for it.
2: Yeah, I, I think that you're going to have a lot of smoke. I think that you're going to have a lot of trash talking. I think you're going to have Two guys, at some point in time, there's going to be that nose-to-nose the same way that we saw in the Boston series. And we saw Williams get in the face of Butler. Grant Williams, he, he to me, he was really agging on Butler and, and made it worse because Butler decided to go ahead and put the dagger in him and go up 3-0. And then what else did you hear from Williams for the rest of the series? Yeah, not a whole lot. He made, I think he made one of their threes
4: last night, which they didn't make very many. So good on him there, I guess.
2: But when you when you've been sitting at home awaiting your opponent and have 10 days of rest, sometimes you you have to knock the rust off and you become a little bit discombobulated. So as a player, would I rather have those 10 days off? Or would I rather have those couple of days off? Give me the ten days off. Why? Because in the NBA mm. and in any sport, your body being rested. The old rest versus
4: rust debate. I, rust is probably uh, it's probably a myth. Yeah, I mean, you you, you got to take the rest in, I, in that situation. If you're
2: if you're an NBA vet, I guarantee you're asking, you're begging yeah. for the rest. And once you start getting into possibly a seven game series, that's when you'll start seeing. The Denver Nuggets saying, look, even though this is a seven-game series, we should be the fresher team, not to mention yeah. who has home court advantage Yeah, in this NBA Finals. And it, it's a situation for Denver as a franchise. Denver big favorites in this series, obviously. It, it's your franchise's first-ever appearance in the NBA Finals. So once that hits you, the Miami Heat, Eric Spolstra, he's been there before. Yeah. So he can tell his team what to expect. Yeah, there's a couple of Heat uh, Gi- members. Uh, who yeah, know Jimmy what to was there,
4: and th- they lost that Lakers team in the bubble in what six games. I mean, if you consider that the same as yeah, the finals, uh, I guess they played in an NBA finals. So, uh, you know, Bam was there, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's ver- a similar uh, core. Obviously, the undrafted guys are are different. Duncan Robinson was there, so they they have finals experience. Tyler Hero is going to come back, and uh, so we'll see what happens, but. You know, I don't know what kind of a chance you, we'll we'll get into more of this tomorrow.
2: But what kind of the chance do you uh, do you give the Heat in this series? I give them a a fighting chance, Mike. I really do. I I think we're hopefully if we're lucky, we will see a seven game series because mm-hmm. nobody wants to see a sweep. Sweep. Don't want to see a sweep. Sweep. Don't want to see it happen. Sweep. And if there is a sweep, you know that that's one of those circumstances to where. If you're the Miami Heat, and you get swept. Sweep. Jokic is gonna have to show up. He's gonna get his triple double. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's gonna show up. He's <laughs> gonna get his triple double. He's gonna average a triple double, and, yeah. and that's that. That's my go out on a limb statement. Okay? Yeah, it's not really a huge limb to go out on, but <laughs> no, it's it, it's definitely a low limb to to where that's easy easy pick fruit right there. Yeah, but what kind of help will he get? And, and the energy that's going to be around these NBA
4: Finals. I can argue Jamal Murray was, I'm not going to say better than Jokic, but, I mean, he, he was the one... Uh you know, keeping the Lakers at bay. And because remember, all four of those games were close, but it was like Lakers would call back. Oh, Jamal Murray three Lakers would call back. Oh, Jamal Murray three, make a, make a stupid shot. Maybe Yo- a Jokic mixed in uh stupid heave over his head. I mean, of course, Jokic was fantastic in the series as well, but I mean, off- offensively, I mean, Murray was just as good. So, you know, he's certainly going to have to keep it up, but if Murray can keep playing how he's played throughout the playoffs, who I, I, I don't know, man, I I'm seeing sweep. Maybe, Maybe a gentleman sweep in five. Well, I will
2: say this: Jokic definitely, when he shows up and gets his triple double, Jimmy Butler is going to have to have a lot of help, and it's the same type of help that he got in the first three games when the Heat jumped on the Celtic. And and, and I think that Jimmy Butler is going to get that type of help because again, they're playing that team and unselfish game, and Eric Spoelstra. Whether you, whether you want to give them credit or not, is oh, yeah. really one of the best coaches in the NBA.
4: Their player development is second to none, man. They have, what, four undrafted guys
2: contributing? You major, just don't major. See that. Yeah, undrafted. Yeah, it's My, unbelievable. When you go and do your homework on undrafted guys and you find unselfish players to fit your roster. That's what makes a world champion. Everybody knows their role. And you can have a man down and somebody else comes and plugs and plays. Yeah. And then when that person returns, you go back to your old role. Yeah. And that's, to me, when you're not finger-pointing or, or worried or potting about your minutes and worried about the almighty dollar, that's what ultimately happens. That's why I think this can has the potential to be a seven-game game series oh man i got nothing against the heat I- i'd love to see a close i mean i'd
4: say i'm probably rooting for the nuggets ultimately but you know i'd love to see a close series here i just don't know if it's in the cards we'll find out i'll be happy to be proven wrong
2: nba finals starts on thursday when we come back we'll dive back into alabama and auburn both having an opportunity to extend their national championship aspirations in baseball Michael, you, you you thought it was a conspiracy theory. There, <laughs> we'll we'll dive a little bit into that again here on this other side of the break on the final drive.
6: Hi, this is Jim Brando of Fox Sports telling everyone along the Gulf Coast in Mobile, listen to the opening kickoff with Mark and Lee on one hundred five point five WNSP.
2: The final drive back on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labonte along with my producer Michael Brauner and Michael, Alabama gets a 16th seed. Auburn gets a 13th seed. Both teams hosting regionals. Alabama hosting for the first time since 2006 and opens up with Nichols State. Auburn, of course, hosts Penn on Friday. But you feel like the Crimson Tide really got the short end as far as from a seeding standpoint. Not that it matters because again, survive in advance is what the name of the game is yeah. for all these teams. And just the fact that you have eight SEC schools hosting out of sixteen regional sites is impressive in and of itself. Yeah,
4: I mean, <laughs> the SEC runs college baseball. We know that. Um, you know, as for the quote-unquote conspiracy yeah that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek I don't actually think the selection committee ganged up and said all right we're gonna punish Alabama for things outside of the players and current coaching staff's control uh current coaching staff emphasis on that but no I mean it just I, I don't know how you explain seating Auburn higher than than a team who beat them three out of four times and was higher in the RPI Gordy said body of work but like Tony said earlier it's like you can't focus on like oh man if we win this regional like we got to go to wake because again got to beat Nichols. you're gonna have to take care of boston college even troy is a good team too so like i mean there there are bigger issues at hand but you would hope alabama is able to get out of their regional but then it's like you run into the buzzsaw that is wake forest Ugh, it's uh it's a tough path to omaha for the crimson tide and like zach said geez there's and he's, there's a there's a pretty good uh pretty likely scenario where you can see Auburn end up hosting a super regional, which is kind of complete
2: nonsense, but yeah, it is what it is. I know we have Lee Chevanian down in Destin, Florida, at the SEC meetings, and of course, a couple of the coaches today came up to the podium. You had Nick Saban, and Nick Saban had some pretty interesting audio earlier in the day in regards to comparing the NCAA to a business. And I think that when Nick Saban compared college football to the NFL and how the NFL is a business, Nick Saban said in no way, shape, form, or fashion that it is a business, college athletics. Eli Drinkowitz. He had a little statement today, making comments comparing NIL to a pediatrician's salary, which was his brother-in-law, and now he's had to kind of clarify that and tweeted the full context of his quote, I am in no way complaining about player compensation. I'm fully supportive. Always have been, end quote. And that's Eli Drinkowicz, which – the head coach of missouri it's a way when you go to missouri you want to make money yeah i want to
4: talk about that for a second um chris brought up a, a good point there it's a very very odd thing for Drinkwitz to say like i okay like i get it in principle it's like all right my my pediatrician brother makes less than some of the players on my like i i do get what he's saying uh you know if he wants to make a statement on doctors being underpaid, whatever. Like, I, I I get it. Like, it's an entirely separate conversation. But it, it always, any, like, anti-NIL statement from a coach, like Chris has said earlier, it just comes off as coaches complaining about players being able to profit off their name, image, and likeness. And, like, I understand that the system is not perfect and probably never will be perfect, and it's a little bit out of control, and it's being used as a recruiting tool, which is not how it was intended. And, yeah, 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 there's a lot of issues with NIL, but – very odd. It, it was it was a weird quote from Drinkwitz. It was good that he went and clarified it. Uh, but when has it ever been good that that you had to clarify your original quote? Like it, that that's never a
2: good sign about the original quote, is it? it? no, absolutely not. And here here's one of here's the full quote. Y'all really trying to get me in trouble here? Oh, oh God. Deion Sanders had a really good quote the other day talking about young men are joining a business but we want to <laughs> treat them like kids. So Dion said, Dion said it's a business, huh? Yeah, okay. We're giving guys 18, 19, 22 years old, life-changing money. People are making more money in NIL than my brother-in-law, who is a pediatrician, who saves lives, and we kind of do it cavalier, and we think there's not going to be any side effect. There's not going to be any issues. There's information out there. What is there what? are bad actors always trying to make a dollar. I think it's going to become one of the key issues that we faced in our locker rooms. end quote. It's very
4: odd. He he almost doubles down there, uh, even in the clarifications. Like, what does one have to do with the other? If you want to make a separate statement that my pediatrician brother is underpaid. Go ahead and say, by all means, my pediatrician brother who takes care of children for a, for a living. You know, it's a very honorable profession. We need as many of those as possible. If you want to say he's underpaid, go ahead and say he's underpaid. Go campaign. Go use your platform to campaign to get pediatricians more money or whatever. But
2: what does it have to do with college players getting paid on their name, image, and likeness? And we'll definitely have to ask Lee about that because I know he had an opportunity to sit and listen to what Coach Drinkowitz had to say, and it, it wouldn't be possible Vlee Lee and Destin tomorrow morning talking with Mark Hyman tomorrow afternoon with us, Dr. Christopher Mullinex, Ward International Trucks, Rich's Car Wash, Dixie Supply, Keisler Federal Credit Union, The Cart Doctor, Green and Phillips Injury Law Firm, Urology Associates, Greer's Markets Cash Saver, Spa and Tub Manufacturer, Chick fil A, and T Bachelor and Son Heating and Air, all sponsors of Lee making it out to Destin, Florida, and the SEC meetings that are going on with the presidents, athletic directors, and coaches, which is what makes Destin so unique because SEC Media Days that we are going to, Bronner, along with. Nick Wiggins, Triple G, and and Stephen Root. What you'll see is you won't see university presidents there, presidents there. You may see an athletic director or two, but mm-hmm. they'll have some statements more so from the college football coaches. And yep. here in Destin, you'll have a plethora of coaches along with athletic directors and presidents. Yeah, the Destin thing—it's a—it's like a mini
4: appetizer to uh, to the SEC media days. So. You know, get get a little advanced sneak peek about some topics for, and you know, as we get into middle of July, you're talking about ramping up, almost for the fall. You're almost in August at that point, so you know that's right before you know everyone's gonna be making their predictions and all that. So you know, we're in we're in like diet SEC media day season, and uh, you know, certainly look forward to making the trip up to Nashville with Nick and yourself and Stephen Root. It's gonna be gonna be a great
2: time. And and of course this evening. Here, probably as we speak, I know Lee was scheduled to hear the comments of the SEC Commissioner, Greg Sankey, to see what he has to ultimately say to those that are in attendance who have not heard his thoughts about whether there's going to be an eight-game schedule or a nine-game schedule. Because, broader, what you what you hate to see, you love to see, three permanent robberies. I know I personally love to see three permanent robberies. As far as if you're an Auburn fan or an Alabama fan, you know who that one permanent robbery is going to be. And with the seven rotating in, you had a nine-game schedule. If you had, uh, excuse me, a nine-game schedule would be three permanent and six rotating. You have an eight-game, you have that seven rotating and one permanent. So it it can get – Kind of interesting in regards to what rivalry you think is a second, because everybody likes, you know, Auburn, Georgia. Yeah. So, so
4: Georgia, Auburn's Auburn's really the one getting screwed here with this permanent opponent thing. Uh, like they should get Vanderbilt as a third, because you know they're going to keep Alabama and you know they're going to keep Georgia. So, uh, you know, poor poor Auburn in that scenario. They really should get like a South Carolina or a Vanderbilt, or we'll see who their third. But I, I can't remember off the top of my head who, who it was. It might have been Vanderbilt. But, yeah, I mean, definitely uh the toughest uh, straw drawn there in, uh, in that
2: original piece. So that will be something Commissioner Sankey will definitely address this evening. And I know Lee will be on top of that. And he'll be able to join us again tomorrow afternoon. And we'll catch up with him after his promenade through a hot tub. I tell you, he, he said, look, we asked him earlier today. He said, I've already been in the hot tub a couple of times. Twice. Twice. He let us know he'd already been there twice. So See we'll, Paul
4: Feinbaum today, how blue uh, that water looked in the background? Man.
2: Lee said, look, I don't have to get in the water. I've got my hot tub. <laughs> so so we'll get more information on what's going on from Commissioner Sankey tomorrow with Lee Shervanian. The final drive will be right back. We'll put the finishing touches on this Tuesday edition. <laughs>
7: Hi, I'm Michael Pierce, NFL defensive tackle. When I'm in the city of Mobile,
2: you can normally find me at WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final segment here of the final drive. And tomorrow we'll, we'll break down a little bit more of what Nick Saban had to say today in Destin. But one of the funniest moments is the fact that Lee Shervanian and Nick Saban are equals when it comes down to technology. And I know tomorrow we'll be able to play that audio of when Nick Saban's at the podium today, his cell phone starts going off and he just flat out said, "Uh, I, I don't know how to turn it off. And that's something I know Lee just gave up his flip phone about a month and a half ago, so... It's going to be interesting to, to talk to Lee tomorrow and ask him about Nick Saban's phone escapade. And, and is Lee at all worried that the same thing is going to happen to him as he's continuing to to interview all these coaches?
4: Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll certainly keep an eye on that. But, you know, I have confidence Lee will be able to figure it out.
2: <laughs> I mean, Nick Saban said, I don't even know how to turn this thing off. And, and uh, it just kept ringing and ringing. I mean, and all you have to do on the iPhone is, is mash one of the buttons. You know, it's funny. Like, we, we were listening
4: to the audio that Lee had sent us because he sent us, like, the whole 15-minute press conference and heard the cell phone go off, and bo- both of us looked at each other and said, like, oh, no, like, someone's about to get chewed out. And as it turns out, it it was Nick <laughs> Saban's phone. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, so not, not, someone avoided a, uh, a butt chew in there. That wouldn't have been good.
2: No, it, it really would not have been a good situation. And and I guess he thought it was going to stop ringing because it rang multiple times. And like we said, Lee going from the flip phone to the iPhone. So he's upgrading his technology. And a couple of years ago, I know Nick was talking about not even being able to return a text message. He just looks at them. And I tell you what, in, in this day and age, I bet you Nick Saban knows how to return a text message now. I
4: hope so, man. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe others are doing the the text messaging of the
2: recruits. Who knows? Yeah, it w- it w- it was nine years ago that <laughs> Nick Saban said he just looked at the text messages versus respond to them. So he says he's getting there technology wise. He's made huge advances. So that's why I say Shravanian and Saban are equals because both of them have made huge advances in technology. And of course tomorrow also wanna play if you didn't get a chance to hear that audio. I, I just I know I was out on Friday, but the GOAT to me is Michael Jordan. Oh yeah, we didn't get a chance to do that. I broke that down a little bit. We'll 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 have a good discussion about that one tomorrow. Scotty Pippen chiming in on Michael Jordan. If you missed that over the weekend, we'll we'll play that again tomorrow as well tomorrow Riley Leonard will be joining us one of the top prospects he's a dark horse to win the Heisman trophy we'll talk about him and his camp upcoming of course we'll get those updates from Lee and Destin also have KJ Lacey the state championship quarterback from Sarah Land High School in studio with us and it's a great new looking studio Nick Wiggins put in a lot of work along with Nathan this weekend to make the studio give it some upgrades and we'll upgrade you tomorrow as well. I want to thank you for tuning in to the final drive. Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. John Roschetti up next.